At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Impeachment inquiry Kevin McCarthy has now unilaterally and personally declared against President Joe Biden is, in fact, illegal. The Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel, the Trump administration Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel, ruled on January 19th, 2020, that there can be no impeachment and no impeachment inquiry without a vote by the House of Representatives. And that ruling is still on the books today. And Kevin McCarthy has violated it. Kevin McCarthy has broken the law. This is Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry. Repeat after me. Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry. Quote, The House of Representatives must expressly authorize a committee to conduct an impeachment investigation and to use compulsory process in that investigation before the committee may compel the production of documents of testimony in support of the House's power of impeachment. The House itself must authorize an impeachment inquiry. No committee may undertake the momentous move from legislative oversight to impeachment without a delegation by the full House of such authority. Unquote. Stephen A. Engel, Assistant Attorney General, Office of Legal Counsel, the same guy who wrote Bill Barr's Mueller summary for him. He's a lawyer and everything. Went to Harvard. He works in Philadelphia. Go and ask him if you don't believe me. Kevin McCarthy, the guy who looks like the bird who is still stunned from having just flown full force into your window, broke the law yesterday. If there is no vote, there is no impeachment inquiry. And you know who else said that besides Trump's assistant attorney general? The guy who wrote that the speaker, quote, 
can't decide on impeachment unilaterally. It requires a full vote of the House of Representatives, unquote. Wrote that on September 24th, 2019. Who wrote that? Kevin McCarthy. He tweeted it. It's still up on his feed. The Speaker can't decide on impeachment unilaterally. It requires a full vote of the House of Representatives. Is that too remote for you? Is that too far in the past? What about what this guy said on September 1st of this year, which is, uh, do the carry the three, not even two weeks ago. Quote, if we move forward with an impeachment inquiry, it would occur through a vote on the floor of the People's House and not through a declaration by one person. I'm quoting a Breitbart News interview from way back 12 days ago with Kevin F. McCarthy. And we all know what the F stands for. I don't know. Maybe Kevin McCarthy really is still stunned from having just flown full force into your window. Or maybe he's just a prostitute. Contradicts himself from September 1st. Contradicts himself from September 2019. Contradicts Trump's assistant attorney general. Contradicts the law. In my research, I do not find any opinion from Trump's man Engel, who three years and eight months ago preemptively declared what Kevin McCarthy did yesterday invalid and illegal about whether the Department of Justice, for which Engel worked, can now go and charge Kevin McCarthy. It does not seem as if McCarthy committed that kind of crime here. But any Democrat responding to this latest Republican urination on the Constitution on behalf of Dementia J. Trump by not calling this, quote, Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry should be expelled from the party, from office, from the country. McCarthy didn't just break the rules. He just broke Trump's rules. And that fact should be hung around his neck, fresh every morning, like one of those floral lays you get when you arrive in Hawaii. Aloha, Mr. Speaker, and how's your illegal impeachment inquiry today? Now, besides the legal lesson that Kevin Owen McCarthy so desperately needed before he made an even bigger dick out of himself yesterday than usual, and for all the tomorrows to come... There is the history lesson that he just as certainly needed and did not get and will live to regret not getting. And I must say, I am utterly surprised he did not know this already, given that as it unfolded, he was already on the staff of a congressman and already chairman of the California Young Republicans and then chairman of the Young Republican National Foundation, even though he was 37, which is pretty goddamned old to have the nerve to call yourself a young Republican. It's like being a 37-year-old bat boy in baseball. But the last Speaker of the House who prostituted himself and perverted the Constitution to try to impeach a president for cheap, meaningless, and only political reasons did not meet with a happy end. Newt Gingrich, you know, the stupid-looking guy who does the title insurance infomercials on TV, did you know he used to have a job with the government? He was actually Speaker of the House, too. Just like Kevin. Oh, look out, there's a window there, Beak Boy. Oh, slam. McCarthy. But Newt 
dreamt of much more than mere speakership, as one must, I assume, if one is stuck with that name, Newt. By January 1998, Newt Gingrich's dreams were about Monica S. Lewinsky, particularly about using her as the centerpiece to investigating President Bill Clinton and timing it so that the investigation would stretch out all spring and all summer and all the media would fall for it and into the autumn and it would allow the Republicans who already control the House and the Senate the chance to build veto-proof majorities in the midterms. And not actually impeach him was the plan until after the midterms. So in the midterms, the Democrats wouldn't even get any sympathy votes. While E. Coyote, super genius. But Newt wanted even more. On Sunday, April 26, 1998, the former Washington bureau chief of The New Yorker magazine, Elizabeth Drew, went on Meet the Press on NBC with Tim Russert and said that Gingrich had been talking for months to his close associates that his real plan was... The investigation of Clinton was so bad that Clinton would have to be impeached and would be removed by the Senate, or more likely he would resign in shame. Whereupon, Speaker Gingrich was certain that the new president, Al Gore, would pardon Bill Clinton. Whereupon, Senate Republicans would refuse to confirm whoever Gore had nominated to be his new vice president. Whereupon, Newt Gingrich would impeach Al Gore for pardoning Bill Clinton. Do you see what the plan was? The nation would be without an elected president, without a replacement president, without an elected or an appointed vice president. And so naturally, the presidency would have to devolve to the next in the line of succession, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Let's see, who was that? Um, Newton Leroy Gingrich. Gingrich, is it? Gingrich? Gingrich. Yes, Newt Gingrich in 1998 was not planning to impeach Bill Clinton. He was planning to succeed Bill Clinton. Remind me that that didn't happen. That did that did ha- that didn't happen. That it, did it happen? That no, no. Why not? Well, on October 8th, 1998, Speaker Newt Gingrich got his House of Representatives to vote. And a side note to Kevin McCarthy: that word "vote," the thing you didn't do, that's spelled V-O-T-E. Ask for Mr. Engel in Philadelphia. Gingrich got a vote of 258 to 176, with 31 Democrats voting yes to establish an impeachment inquiry against Bill Clinton. The midterms were less than a month away, and Gingrich met with Republican leadership in secret, and like the serpent he was and is, he was coiled and ready to get his supermajority in the House, and he told his colleagues they would pick up between 6 and 30 congressional seats, and some in the Senate, and enough to remove Clinton. And on the morning of Tuesday, November 3rd, Gingrich dragged his blubber to the polls and predicted victory. And on the morning of Wednesday, November 4th, it turned out... The Republicans had lost five seats in the House. And then on the morning of Friday, November 6th, Newt Gingrich announced he would resign as Speaker of the House after the new year, mostly because uh, the dozens of Republicans who had just sneaked through to re-election realized he was an idiot, he was a charlatan, and he was a liability. Gingrich impeached Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton kept his job 
and Newt Gingrich lost his. And oh, by the way, Al Gore kept his job, too. And guess what? Al Gore would have been president despite the Supreme Court if he had not been so stupid that he listened to advisors like the boneheaded billionaire Joel Hyatt, who told him, whatever you do in 2000, don't campaign with Bill Clinton. You can't be seen standing next to the most popular politician in America. You got all that, Kevin McCarthy? Because wait, there's more. Because if, Kevin, you turn impeachment into a tool of attempted political assassination, when the strongest accusation you have against the president is conclusive evidence that he is his son's biological father, if that's what you're going to do, the god of politics will not only get you, but he will get everybody around you. As soon as Gingrich announced he was going to, quote, resign as speaker, the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, a man named Bob Livingston of Louisiana, stood up in front of the Capitol, and as his smiling wife held a sign saying, Bob for speaker, and his one smiling kid held a sign saying, vote for Bob, and as his other smiling kid held a sign saying, my dad for speaker, Representative Livingston announced he had already rounded up enough support from his House colleagues, and though he would be happy to go through the actual vote, yes, he was already speaker-elect. And the other would-be candidates for speaker dropped out. And sure enough, there he was, speaker-elect Livingston. Everything Gingrich was not, bland, solemn, reassuring, with big mid-90s fishbowl eyeglasses and a happy family. And a month later, during the final House debates on the impeachment of that evil President Slimeball Clinton, the publisher of Hustler magazine, Larry Flint, revealed he was investigating four separate affairs that Speaker-elect Livingston had reportedly had. And already he had one of the women on record. And on December 19th, 1998, Speaker-elect Livingston said, guess what? I'm no longer a candidate for Speaker. And in fact, I'm resigning from the House. And the next thing anybody heard from Bob Livingston, he was lobbying on behalf of a free trade agreement between the United States and Morocco. So at that point, the scoreboard read, Bill Clinton 2, speakers of the House who impeached him, nothing. Now, Kevin... If you have not fled for Guatemala or somewhere by now, let me note that, wait, this little history lesson still isn't over yet, because with Gingrich gone and Livingston gone, the only congressman who actually knew the House rules and how to organize committees and do anything besides impeach people, he became the new, new speaker, the chief deputy whip, the gentleman from Illinois, Dennis Hastert, child rapist wrestling coach child rapist and republican speaker of the house the right honorable rapist dennis hastert and three speakers of the house after him while he was in jail they took down hastert's portrait from the gallery of paintings of the speakers and i believe they burned it and they renamed the Denny Hastert Yorkville, Illinois Wrestling Invitational. And last I heard, he's 81 years old and living in Aurora. But uh, check his room, Speaker McCarthy. Maybe he, uh, maybe he went to hell overnight. And that's what you get 
when you Kevin McCarthy this. Kevin McCarthy. Some other notes on this. And what are we calling it again? Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry. Some other notes on this. Jim Jordan. Hey, look, wrestling coaches. That's a coincidence. Jim Jordan said, quote, when you actually have a resolution that the House votes on, the courts understand the House is engaged in a fundamental constitutional activity, the impeachment power. And if McCarthy's comments about needing an impeachment vote seem old because they were from September 1st, Jim Jordan made his comments Sunday night. Also, the supposed point of Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry to get the, quote, bank records. Republicans subpoenaed the bank records on March 16th and got them and released them, and they showed nothing about Joe Biden. Nothing. And then they subpoenaed more bank records on May 10th, and they showed nothing, and more bank records on August 9th, and they showed nothing. But go on, Kevin. Keep digging, and go on, media. Keep reporting this as if it's something new. We have the Google now in most newsrooms. You could just hit search once in a while. And while McCarthy has disturbed the spirits of ex-Speaker Gingrich and never-Speaker Livingston and child-rapist Speaker Hastert, this still is not enough for the real power in his party, Matt Gates. Gates seems intent on removing McCarthy, while McCarthy is intent on impeaching Biden illegally, and the whole party is ready to shut down the government in 17 days. And if you're wondering, where's all the Republican Senate support for all this crap? There isn't any. John Thune was blunt and unimpressed. Quote, I don't think it'd be advantageous if this thing went further with all the other things we have to do. Even Lindsey Graham said you have to have a vote. And a reminder, so did Trump's assistant attorney general. Did I mention that? The part about this being illegal according to Trump's assistant attorney general? Did I mention that? One GOP senator whom the newsletter The Hill let speak anonymously went all in, called it, quote, a waste of time, a fool's errand. Fortunately, it'll be dispensed with fairly quickly if they ever send articles of impeachment over to us. Maybe this is just Kevin giving people their binky to get through the shutdown. And there is one Republican congressman who says this is also such cretinous nonsense He is an unlikely candidate for such insight. Ken Buck, the wild man of Colorado. So naturally, the MAGAs are are planning to primary him. What all this seriously adds up to, illegal impeachment inquiry, McCarthy contradicting himself in a span of 13 days, Republican senators referring to Republican congressmen in their binkies, Trump's legal mastermind, the one without a legal degree, Tom Fitton, pulling the strings behind the scenes. Thank God for that. That's why this is just a distraction. What this all adds up to is A, the acronym MAGA, M-A-G-A. Both of the A's stand for assholes. Republican assholes. Trumpist assholes. As I don't think any Democrat should ever mention Kevin McCarthy again without referring to McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry, I think all Democrats should pull out the stops now. This is our democracy at stake here, and I think every Democrat should call every Republican every time assholes. As the uh, Republican asshole party noted, or Trumpist asshole, as the head of the Republican asshole party, the asshole Trump noted, because the Republican party, 
<laughs> I'm sorry, the Republican asshole party, as the Republican asshole party has devolved into an organized crime family, maybe not that organized, it deserves no more respect than any other crowd of chiselers and insurrectionists and con men and felons would. And it would be nice. It would be responsible. It would be patriotic if the news media would follow suit and, you know, do what reporting is supposed to consist of. See thing, determine what thing you are seeing is, write or broadcast description of thing, let chips fall where they may. They're assholes. I'm not holding my breath. Wall Street Journal, Sadie Gurman, Justice Department correspondent, pimping an article by one of her colleagues. She pulled this quote, We've all declined, obviously, but you can still be pretty sharp, said Earl Evans, who already knew he was born the same day as the president when the reporter called. What was the Wall Street Journal article? The headline was, quote, Is Biden too old to run again? We asked people born on his exact birthday. How clever. Did you also do this other one titled, Is Trump too mentally ill to realize that if he started a nuclear war, he would die too? We asked people who have his exact degree of dementia. And think so. The comforting part about the media's rosy-colored nostalgia about but her emails and the hope that it can squeeze either but his age or but McCarthy impeached him into that same cubbyhole this time around, is that when the fascists therefore can seize power and send the rest of us to, you know, prison camps because the news reporters were too busy looking for false equivalencies with which to both sides the world and get good guests for meet the press, at least when we're all behind that barbed wire, those surprised reporters and the rest of us, there'll be enough journalists there to put out a good camp newsletter, which can have headlines like, Who is the nicer prison guard, Bob Livingston or Newt Gingrich? Two more stories here. We have another 14th Amendment suit. Voters in Minnesota going to the Supreme Court, they're saying he must be banned from the ballot, quote, None of this conduct was undertaken in performance of Trump's official duties in his official capacity or under color of his office. Rather, Trump engaged in insurrection solely in his personal or campaign capacity, unquote. Two down, 48 to go. Miss Kilgallen? A 9-11 follow-up. I didn't see this during the day, but Monday on 9-11, Marjorie Taylor Greene wrote on 9-11... If the Biden administration refuses to stop the invasion of cartel-led human and drug trafficking into our country, states should consider seceding from the union, unquote. On 9-11, a note to Ms. Green, who is, as you know, a lawn ornament that came to life and doused itself in tanning spray. Ms. Green, if you will secede, I will carry you anywhere in the world you want to go. I will carry you on my back. And yesterday, who had to whine about 9-11, about the 9-11 ceremony and the importance of 9-11, the real meaning of 9-11, which is, of course, who gets to speak first? 
Who had to whine about it? The man whose presidential aspirations were ended the day Joe Biden reduced him from America's mayor to his rightful place in our history, as Joe described every sentence this idiot has uttered since that day, a noun, a verb, and 9-11. Tom Von Essen, Bernie and I almost lost our lives. We never made much of that because we're not that kind of people. But I have a big claim on September 11. I almost died there. Governor Bataghi thought I was dead. He has a document to that effect. He thought Bernie was dead. Rudy, you kept that secret all that time? <laughs> For some reason, I doubt that. You almost died? Well, thanks for trying. Well, you know, all this talk of Rudy and Newt and impeachment, Kevin McCarthy's illegal impeachment inquiry, that is, this has got me all nostalgic for 1998. And the week I went from, hey, you, why haven't I seen you on SportsCenter lately, to, good evening, I'm anchoring the State of the Union address coverage. How to succeed in political broadcasting without really trying. That's next. This At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This is Countdown. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. Now to the number one story on the countdown and things I promised not to tell and the State of the Union 1998. When I left ESPN and signed with MSNBC the first time in 1997, it was not to become a political commentator nor even anchor. I went there to do what the president of NBC News America needed most. 
a live hour-long news magazine show from Secaucus, New Jersey, so unfocused that on consecutive nights we led with the threat of a terrorist group called Al-Qaeda, and then the next night we led with the publication of the Farmer's Almanac. I mean, this was the news at 8 p.m. The lead story, they published the Farmer's Almanac again. Here's our live guest, the publisher. Is it going to rain next year? I had regrets. Anyway, the good part of the job was sports. I hosted baseball in the World Series, and I even did some Super Bowl stuff for NBC. And in mid-January of 1998, I flew to the West Coast to work on that and do this magazine show, The Big Show, on MSNBC from entertainment venues in L.A., most of them associated with NBC. On the afternoon of Tuesday, January 20th, 1998, we were on the set of Third Rock from the Sun, preparing to interview its star, John Lithgow, when my producer, Phil Griffin, sidled over. You, my little friend, are about to become a political host. The president got caught with some chippy in the White House. Chippy? Oh, not sex sex. Looks like just, uh, you know. And then he lied about it in the deposition Saturday. I asked him how in the hell anybody knew about what the deposition said when it was just four days after he gave the deposition, and those things are supposed to be, you know, secret. Beats me. Drudge put it out yesterday. And I asked him if credible news organizations like NBC were actually quoting an internet guy best known for his hat about what was a potentially impeachable offense. A lot of people were close on this story, Griffin said. We were close. Lisa Myers almost had it Sunday night. Newsweek finally put out a more detailed version about 90 minutes ago. It was their scoop. Drudge just stole it from them. I think it was Isakoff who wrote it. You'll have to interview Tim Russert to lead the show. The president may resign. We'll do it from right here. Back that up. What was that you said? We'll do it from right here. No, no, the part about the president resigning. Oh, yeah, the president might resign. Thus, half an hour later, I was hooked up by satellite with Tim Russert from the Washington Bureau, listening to him outline the possibilities that the president might resign before sunrise. I nodded with as much gravitas as I could fake, despite the elements of farce that were apparently obvious only to me in the story and in where I was seated. In the background of my close-up stood the refrigerator from the kitchen set of Lithgow's show, Third Rock from the Sun, and on the refrigerator, complete with its decorative magnets, speaking their silent and suddenly completely hip gag, the magnets were a banana surrounded on either side by a strawberry. Phil, I said to Phil as we tried to plan a smooth transition from that taped Russert interview about the possible impeachment or resignation of the president to a taped interview with John Lithgow, and then back to the live speculations of a couple of political writers for the rest of the hour, we're not going to have to do this every day, are we? Griffin laughed. Of course not. What do you think this is, the end of the world? He was right. We did not do it every day. We did it for 218 consecutive shows. Starting that night, with the banana and the strawberry magnets over my shoulder, our ratings kept doubling. Following Tuesday, my 38th birthday, I was back in New York hosting a roundtable of political heavyweights in the hour leading up to Bill Clinton's State of the Union address that night. 
Andy Lack of NBC News and Phil Griffin had decided that I should host a second live report once the NBC Network guys, Russert, Tom Brokaw, a couple of others, had wrapped up their analysis, which we were also carrying on MSNBC. So I would come on at 11 o'clock after Brokaw and Russert. Two hours, my little friend. This is our nightline. I was doing my best to keep a straight face when, during a commercial break at maybe 11.45, maybe midnight, halfway through my wrap-up show, Griffin materialized next to my anchor desk. He had this stunned but not unhappy look, like when he used to smoke a lot of dope when we worked together in the 80s. We have the preliminary ratings, my little friend. I hope you're sitting down. I pointed at myself, seated in the chair. The pregame show that did a 1.1. Our average rating at MSNBC before this presidential stuff came up had been an 0.3. This was now four times the previous ratings. In the past week, it had surged to an 0.6, and Griffin had insisted to me that Andy Lack was so happy he had wet his pants. But this is the kicker here, buddy. We have the immediate since the president finally stopped talking. Speech did an 0.8. Broke on Russer, uh, the wrap-up did an 0.6. Since 11 o'clock, you've been doing a... 1.7. You have had three times the audience of Tom Brokaw, three times the audience of the old man himself. This isn't just people crossing over from NBC to watch more. This is people watching the speech, turning off the old man, then turning back at 11 to watch you. I tried to assimilate what he was telling me. For the first time in my life, my ego refused to cooperate. The stage manager barked his cue of 30 seconds until the end of the commercial break. Phil Griffin shook my hand. Oh, and by the way, um, that thing you said at the start of the hour about it, it was as if the intern had opened the door to the chamber and said, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, um, that's already included in the Associated Press story. 1.7, my little friend. Don't F it up. Actually, you can't F it up. We're in for the long haul now. Revel in it. Me quoted about the Clinton-Lewinsky story in the main coverage of the State of the Union address on the Associated Press Wire eight months after I stopped giving the scores of the Greater Stuttgart Invitational Tennis Tournament on ESPN. I had this sudden, horrible feeling that the usually slow-to-decide American viewing public had instantly concluded that for some reason, elusive even to me, they really like to hear me talk about the whereabouts of the president's penis. If I could have figured out how to F up the rest of the hour, I would have done it right then. I didn't. The next day, it got worse. The ratings were so great last night, buddy, they want us to go live every night at 8 and 11. Only about the president. The 11's going to be called crisis in Washington. Finally, we get what we want. Phil Griffin was dancing around. It'll be our nightline. Since joining MSNBC, I had not taken any time off, and I actually had a vacation booked in Hawaii the next week with a young lady. Uh, yeah, about that, Phil finally announced. Well, that's what we have to talk about. Keith, they want you to commit to this for at least six weeks, so it's this or Hawaii. I explained Hawaii to Phil. Lack said he'd probably pay for you to go do that whenever this is over. I said, in my opinion, that probably would not be good enough. And Griffin said neither did he, but that it was just for openers. And Lack told him that I could have three wishes and I could anchor NBC Nightly News, at least on the weekends and a couple of times during the week. 
Just personally, I'd recommend you do it. I got the impression that the show's going to happen whether we agree to it or not, Griffin said. He mentioned something about Brian Williams or maybe John Gibson being poor second choices, but viable ones. He said viable ones. I told Phil I had some calls to make. Griffin suggested Lack needed a decision within the hour that he wanted White House in crisis on the air that night. Wait. That didn't sound like what he'd called it before. Phil, is it White House in crisis or crisis in Washington? Phil Griffin seemed introspective for a moment, then got in touch with the news executive within. What's the difference? It's going to be our nightline. I almost suggested to him that that should be the title. MSNBC presents It's Going to Be Our Nightline. On and on this went. For weeks, for months, I mocked the story, the ratings went up. I tried to quit the show, the ratings went up. I gave a speech insulting the network for covering the story 24-7, the ratings went up. Fox Sports approached me and offered me five times what NBC was paying me to go out to L.A. to do their sportscasts. L.A., which was kind of near Hawaii, nowhere near the Clinton Lewinsky story, and the ratings went up. And I was debating all this and the fact that I had a contract and I had agreed to do it. And then one night in early spring, I got home after another night of this crap. I put my feet up. I was half watching something on NBC while really just staring off into the distance, wondering what I had done to deserve this, mulling my own future when the snare drum and the violent string section of an NBC news promo interrupted me. Wednesday on a very special edition of Nightline, Jane Pauley and the former Miss America. There she was for a second, head tilted, her look grave, journalistic, even scholarly. Jane Pauley, the 10-year host of NBC's landmark Today Show, the one who would then switch to primetime because the journalism had slowly ebbed out of morning television and she couldn't do it anymore. She was sitting there in a two-shot with a Miss America from too many Miss Americas ago, the former brunette, former redhead now, former blonde, whose jet black hair made her look a little frightening, why the hell was Jane Pauley interviewing her on the signature, albeit superficial, NBC thrice-weekly magazine show Nightline, no less? Well, in a split second, the promo gave me my answer. Jane, did you have sex with the President of the United States? Ex-Miss America. Yes, yes, I did. Announcer. That's Wednesday on a very special edition of Nightline, only on NBC, America's news source. With genuine terror, I screamed, I shouted aloud to no one, Check, please. And I called my agent to talk about Fox. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. 
You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening countdown has come to you from our studios high atop the sports capsule building in new york the credits most of the music arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel the countdown musical directors all orchestration and keyboards by john philip chanel guitars bass and drums by brian ray produced by tko brothers other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group no horns allowed sports music is the olbermann theme from espn2 How's Aaron Rodgers, by the way? It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Stevie Van Zant. Everything else was pretty much my fault. Yeah, very sad. Another sudden Achilles injury caused by lack of vaccination. That's countdown for this, the 981st day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants and as my throat permits. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. See, I can't even say my own name now. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. I'm Sam Good morning, good afternoon, good Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.